Hello and welcome to Nigger Report, your weekly roundup for all the latest Nigger news and all other photographic announcements that we found interesting. It's Constant here. And this is Becky. Number 95, Christmas is almost here. And oh boy, we have a great show for you today. Let's start with Red versus Nikon trial. That's right. A few people had asked us what was the latest on this trial news. Now, Nikon persisting to deny and fight back Red's lawsuit regarding the compressed raw infringement in the Z9. That is the, the leading point in this story today. The court has set a jury trial for January 2024. So it's quite a long way away. Yeah, absolutely. So what happened? So just a quick brief story. Yeah. So what happened before that? So Red filed a lawsuit against Nikon because Nikon has NRAW or RAW recording on their flagship Z9 camera. Mm -hmm. So Nikon says that actually we're going to fight that. And in the past, Sony and Apple actually settled this year with RED. Now, Nikon says, no, no, we're actually going to fight this. And the reason for that being is they say that actually RED showed the technology before filing for the patents. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they're not allowed to do that. So there's certain patents. I mean, we're going to mention these are 967, 560, yada, yada, yada. You can get into that in the article by YM Cinema Magazine, which is probably the best source for this particular lawsuit. So do read their article. Now, the key dates for the trial. So first one is called last day to amend under Rule 15, whatever that is, that is was in November 2022. Then there's a technology story hearing, which is in April 2023. Markman hearing, examination of evidence, is in May 2023. Also in May, there's last day to hear motions to amend pleadings and at parties. Mm. All right. So whatever that means, I don't know. Not a lawyer. Are you a lawyer, Becky? I'm not a lawyer. All right. But I've watched a lot of suits. Does that count? Probably. <laughs> it's a bit like, Probably. if you watched a lot of Law and Order or something, do you know? <laughs> you know, I played a lot of Ace Attorney on Nintendo 3DS. All right. And it's like a visual yes, novel I remember about Ace Japanese lawyer. And obviously, it's nothing to do with the law, but it's really, really funny. I do definitely recommend that. So next one up. Non-expert discovery cutoff is in August, and then expert discovery cutoff is in October 23. Last day to mediate is December next year, and then final pre-trial conference and MIL hearing, whatever that means, in January 2024. And then finally, the jury trial is on January 23rd, 2024. So what that means for Z-shooters? First of all, till January 2024, you will have RAW on your cameras. That's a given. Yes. What's going to happen after, that is quite interesting. We simply don't know. Obviously, if Nikon fights it and doesn't settle the suite, which may happen before the trial, who knows, then if they win, we'll have it on all Nikon cameras. And obviously, that will set precedent for all other manufacturers mm -hmm. that do that. I mean, Blackmagic went around it and created B-Roll, which is basically the same thing, but they call it slightly differently. So Red doesn't sue them. But then, obviously, Canon and Sony may introduce their role into their cameras. Obviously, if Nikon loses, they would have to remove raw functionality from their Z9. And obviously, the cameras that will come out before. So who knows? Like, I personally think that Z8 can still have a raw functionality if they want to have it because the trial didn't happen. So very interesting development. I personally hope that Nikon wins because actually the defense is quite solid. And uh, there is a video that we recommended in previous reports for you to look at to see how red patents work. Yes, I do think that the outcome will be, before anyone sends us some panic email about having 
the uh, NRAW recording removed from your camera, that's not going to happen. Either way, Nikon will support their Z9 owners, but also it's far more likely that they would either settle and therefore everything would be left alone or figure out an alternative solution for us so that we do also have something like Blackmagic's B-RAW or similar. Um, I, as to the potential future cameras having NRAW on it, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that if the suit is undergoing and if Nikon don't see a way to win, then they might not include it. But at this point, it's all hypothetical. So well, who knows? I personally think that as long as the trial is going, yeah, effectively they are not guilty until proven. Right. Therefore, they can still include RAW yeah. in their future cameras if they want to. That's very true. That's one of the things. And number two is that even if, let's say, Nikon loses the suit, they won't just update your camera without your permission. So no. effectively, they will release a firmware that will remove the RAW functionality, which you don't have to use. You don't have to update your camera. You know, So you can keep RAW, and maybe that Z9 with the RAW functionality will cost more secondhand on eBay than a brand new from a dealer. Who knows? Potentially. We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but I do think that even if they released an update that removed NRAW, they would substitute it with something else. I don't think they'd leave you hanging out to dry, as yeah, it were. give you a cookie or something? Yeah, they give you a cookie every... All right. <laughs> For everyone that updates their firmware, right. here's a cookie. Couple of interesting things about red patents. Now, that particular patent that Red uses to file a suit against Nikon is expiring in 2028, okay? Now, a couple of weeks ago, they effectively filed another patent, which is titled Video Image Data Processing in Electronic Devices. It seems that this patent tries to address various sensors and devices and even expand in the implementation of Red Code RAW. The new patent will expire in 2037. So they try and to extend effectively current existing patent from 2028 to 2037. Mm -hmm. And effectively, if it's granted and there's no president in trial, they will continue to sue other companies. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Interesting developments lets us know what you think about this. I personally think that Nikon has a strong stance against Red on this one, but obviously until that happens, which is a year from today, we won't know exactly. Yes. Like, well, let's move on to some other news. More confirmations coming in that Sigma will launch their first lenses for Z-mount in 2023. This one came from DG Info, which is a Japanese website. Mm -hmm. And they had confirmation that the first lens that Sigma will launch it for Z-mount is 60 to 600, a 4.5 to 6.3 DG DN lens. Yes, with optical stabilization. So this is a sports lens which is scheduled to be announced at the CP Plus show in Japan in February 2023. Obviously, this is a rumor, but it's a sort of fairly solid one at this point. So according to Nikon Rumors, the original info came from Nokishita, and they are very confident that it is accurate. We would be interested to see. This is a sort of telephoto Super telephoto on a budget lens. There is one existing already for the Nikon F mount. In fact, we have one on demonstration in our store. I would be very interested to see how big or small they make that, whether or not they change it in any way before they turn it into a Z mount lens. But it is a good choice because it is something that will take you from your standard kit lens, 24 to 70 or whatever, all the way to 600 mil. Um, it is a full frame lens as well, which we're happy to hear about. Incredible. I mean, if you've got something like 24 to 70 f4, 
then you can get this lens and that covers you basically from 60 to 600. Yeah, you can have something like 24 to 200, which is that much. Yeah. It's a good all-rounder for travel, but if you do a lot of sports and wildlife and this type of work, then this lens is definitely nice to have. Now, let's recap what happened with the rumors of Sigma lens for that mount. So we had at least three confirmations so far. They all came through Nikon rumors. And basically, Sigma was pretty much open, stating to the customers, saying that, well, it seems like we're going to make those lenses. So nothing official. There's no official press release. But in emails to the clients, especially the one came from Sigma Netherlands, I believe, they said, yeah, it's going to happen in 2023. We heard as well from other sources as well. In fact, we spoke to one of the reps at the photography show back in September when he even said, yes, we're, we're just waiting. If you know something, then let us know. But we, we really are just waiting for approval because we've been asking for ages. We also spoke to the CEO of Sigma back at the Amateur Photographer Awards in, I think it was April this year. And he was very, very confident that there would be something in the offing. So although we haven't had an official announcement yet, we know that Sigma have been working very, very hard on trying to get Nick approval for this and we're incredibly excited to see it finally coming to fruition. So why are they taking so long? Well, Tom Hogan has an answer. Of course he does. He says a lot of things. But what we've taken from this is, he says, theory number three is most interesting. Nikon is picking and choosing who gets to play in the mount with what. Basically, third-party lens designs fall into two categories. One, a design Nikon wants to put their brand on. Two, a design that doesn't overlap anything that the Nikon group wants to put out anytime soon. This explains the dual nature of the Tamron offerings. You've got the 2.8 zoom trio, 17 to 28, 28 to 70, 70 to 180, the 70 to 180 as you will have noticed, just got added to the roadmap after the 17 to 28 was announced. So those were a group of lenses that Nikon wanted to brand. But the 70 to 300 isn't a specification that Nikon is going to put in their lineup. Thus, they gave Tamron the green light to put it out under the Tamron brand. It might also explain why there's a 65mm Voigtlander macro lens, but not a 110mm, too close to the 105 Nikkor. And then he goes into actual explanation why Sigma is so late. So he says that Nikon and Sigma are still negotiating which lenses would be allowed under Sigma name for that mount. For example, nothing that duplicates Nikon, for example, 2470 Art lens, perhaps. If you look carefully at Sigma mirrorless lenses and their E-mount offerings, you find a heck of a lot of overlap with Nikon offerings, with the primary unique ones being Sigma APS-C DX lenses. Conspiracy theorists would say that Nikon would love Sigma to make their DC-DN lenses in that mount, but not so much DG-DN lenses. So he says that would Sigma really want mostly just off APC lenses for that mounts? He thinks that not, and I agree with it. I personally think that Sigma has a very nice lineup of Sigma art lenses. Yes. And we've discussed it in the past. If Nikon decides to go with uh, 1.8 primes as well as 1.2 primes, similar to 51.2, so there's 35 and 85 on roll-up. If they decide to go with 1.2 versions, then it makes sense for Sigma to release the 51.4, 35.1.4, etc., etc. art lenses. I think that's what they negotiate, and that's why maybe it takes quite a bit of time. Makes total sense, in fact, for them to do that. I also think that the DX lenses are also a good starting point. So if Sigma were given little option, they would take a deal to produce DX lenses at the outset with the potential promise of making more lenses in the future. But the DX lineup is definitely in need of padding out a bit on the Z cameras. So 
if they did, I'd be very pleased to see some yeah. DX offerings from Sigma. On top of that, we've got other lenses like the 60 to 600. There's some, some oddities that, that Sigma produce, like the 150 to 600 um, and a couple of other bits and bobs in there, which Nikon have never made an equivalent focal length of. I love the fact that they do that 18 to 30 1.8 DX zoom. Nikon never made anything like that. And uh, it would be fantastic to see those those holes plugged yeah. by a brand such as Sigma, particularly now that they've got this new or newer ethos yeah. and the higher quality of their totally production and optics. Everything is is a, a notch above what it used to be. So I think it's a really good move. Yeah, so that's the reason probably they're fighting back and they negotiated. Because yes, obviously it's nice for Sigma to release all the DX lenses, for Tamron to release all the DX lenses. We definitely need the Nikon systems. I absolutely agree with you. But we also want to have Sigma famous for their art lenses and their exceptional quality to release their art glass. And I think they would want to have those lenses on the, on the Z system. Now, one thing I would like to say is, yes, Nikon basically put themselves in a position where they say, we won't give you the ultimate image quality lenses. And even something like 1.8 glass is still exceptional quality. Mm. Now, having this is really nice. That obviously comes with size, weight, and also the price. Therefore, it's worth having cheap options. As we said in the past, the more the merrier, but also, we're gonna come back to this later, it's not just nice to have, let's say, lots of lenses in the cheaper segment. It's also nice to have a good mid-range with an exceptional glass like Sigma glass. So let's see what's gonna happen. Fingers crossed. I mean, I'm glad that February is basically around the corner, which is fantastic. So I'm really hoping that we're gonna to start to see a nice Sigma lenses appearing as that lineup. Yes, and Sigma glasses too. Next up, Photons to Photos published the Nikon Z30 sensor measurements, and these graphs are quite fascinating to look at. They have compared the Z30 sensor with the other Nikon bodies that have the same sensor, so we're talking the sort of 20.1 megapixel, 20.9 megapixel sensor, I can't remember exactly yeah, what it is. Yeah, so we have G500, Z50, ZFC, and Z30. Yeah. And they basically look the same. I mean, the G500 was obviously the first camera that came out with that sensor. And as you can see, once we start to hit basically 12,800 plus ISOs, that's where dynamic range is a tiny bit lower compared to Z50, ZFC, and Z30. Mm -hmm. But to be honest with you, they're pretty much identical. Now, compared to some other manufacturers in the same segment, we've got here Fuji XF10, Z30, of course, and then Sony 6100. Now, I also put Canon EOS R7, which costs about 1,500 pounds in the UK. Wow. But actually, if you look at the performance, the dynamic range is not that bad. Now, we always talk about megapixels in DX, and we feel that it is time to upgrade it to a higher resolution sensor. Indeed. And I, and I hope Z30 is the last camera that has this sensor. But actually, if you compare it with the current offerings in other manufacturers line up, it actually doesn't perform too bad. It does hold its own. Have a look at those graphs and see what you think. We've also included the link if you would like to go and have a look at the source website in the description box. Fantastic. Now, moving on to some other news, Nikon published a list of countries where Nikon Z equipment is produced. So that's been updated at the end of November. All of the Z cameras are made in Thailand. Okay. How do you feel about it? Well, my Z6 was made in Japan, actually, as was yours. Mm. My takeaway is that at some point during the production, they took production out of Japan and they moved it to Thailand. Yeah, that happened during the COVID, actually. Yeah. And that was one of the big things where they had this transition period and then they were hit by COVID. Yeah. And one of the main issues were actually sending the engineers from country to country because all the travel was banned effectively. That's right. So that took some time. I'm glad they've done it. But as you say, 
That's right. Now, in terms of lenses that were made in Japan, we've got obviously the 58mm 0.95 mm-hmm. Noct, very specialist lens. We've got the 24-70 2.8S, which is very nice. That's I've got one lens. of those. You do, and that's the lens we're filming on right now. Um, the 100-400, which may surprise you, the 100-400 is a kind of 200-500-esque lens, so it's surprising that that was made in Japan. And the 400 2.8TC and the new 600F4 TCVRS. Now, those two exotic primes, as we call them, are incredibly challenging to get hold of. But considering that on top of that, Japan has quite a minimal assembly production line setup, we're probably talking maybe one or two people that are putting these lenses together. They are assembled by hand. I can't imagine that we have more than a couple of people that know how to do it. And because of that, that's why we see all our production delays. Do you think they're good at Legos? (laughs) Maybe. And then... Most of the other lenses are made in Thailand. The short list of what's made in China is even shorter, so I'm going to read you those. We've got the 20, the 24, 35, and 85 1AS lenses. So the 50 1AS is made in Thailand. The 400 4.5 and 800 6.3 are both made in China. And then we've got the two 2.8 economic zooms, if you like, the 17 to 28 and the 28 75. The little 24 to 50, which is like your pancake zoom, mm-hmm. and the macro 50 mil f2.8. Okay. All other lenses are made in Thailand. All right. So now let's talk about this, as I would call it, old-fashioned preference to things that have been made in certain countries, not made in other countries, mm. because of quality control. What are your thoughts about that? I just think about that IT crowd episode where it was like everything made in England is rubbish and breaks and then he's, Moss is trying to use the fire extinguisher and it's not working and then he turns it over and it says made in England and he's like, oh. Of course it is, yeah. <laughs> so, to be honest, I'm not one of those people that goes, oh, it's made in a particular country, therefore it's better quality. Um, I think that that is in a lot of ways, quite an old-fashioned view because Nikon spent so much and invested so much in bringing those Thailand and Chinese factories up to standard. All the glass and components and stuff comes from all over the world anyway. I mean, the glass is made in Japan, but like you get things from all over the world. So it's just where it's literally assembled. I don't think it's as big a deal as people make out. No, I totally agree. We live in a global village nowadays. We do. A lot of it has to do with uh, actually cost of producing things and labor costs, et cetera, et cetera. Your iPhone is made in China. It seems like it's one of the best phones around. So, you know, yeah. of course, if I would like to buy a little thing that's made in England, I don't know, handmade, yeah, it's nice. Or let's say a Japanese fountain pen, that's nice. Yeah. A watch made in Switzerland, you know, it's nice. But at the same time... A cuckoo clock made in Switzerland, <laughs> I guess. Here we go, you know. A Swiss army knife made yeah. in Switzerland. A railway station clock to go into my kitchen. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, as we say, Global Village quality control is huge. You Obviously, it takes time to set this up the same way. But I think the time has passed where we would say, let's say, things made in China are not up to scratch. Let's say the things made in Japan, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. The companies do invest in a lot in those countries to make sure that the quality control on par with anything else. And if you bought a Z9 and you enjoying it, I, I don't see many of you complaining about the quality control, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. Speaking of Z9... Mm-hmm. You know what happened to that man this week? It won a Petapixel Award of a 
best camera of 2022, together with 800mm 6.3 as a prime lens of the year. That's pretty cool, isn't it? It's pretty amazing. I will be interested to see how the Z9 fares in the 2022-3 awards. We've got quite a few key awards coming up. Other winners include the zoom lens of the year of being a Tamron. 20 to 40 mil, 2.8. Again, when people say, oh, Sigma is rubbish, or Tamron lenses are rubbish, what you need to understand, the things have changed. Again, as with manufacturing, judge the product. On the product. On the product itself, in the time it was produced. Right now, obviously we all enjoy the stories that things happen, et cetera, et cetera, but it's, if something would be in mass and we are on the internet, that would be well known. Like overheating of the sensor, et cetera, et cetera. So, 2240 zoom lens by Tamron. Again, not a great range, but it's 2.8. It's probably very, very sharp to win an award of best zoom of lens of the year. So pretty cool in my opinion. Yes. We've also got yeah. Apple iPhone 14 Pro. Made in China. Yeah. Uh, we've also got Apple Mac Studio as the computer of the year. That's a standalone thing, isn't it? It is. Okay. Software of the year, mid-journey, which sounds like a new video game. It's AI. Uh. You type in words and it creates an image for you. And Mid Journey is basically produces a painting of things. It's not hyper-realistic. Mm. There are different AIs for that. But what you need to keep in mind that photography trend of the year is artificial intelligence. And there's a lot of AI engines that you can train to produce a similar image. Now, I don't think it will kill photography as much as, let's say, it may start to interfere with uh, what artists produce nowadays. Yeah, I take issue with it, to be yeah. honest. but. But that's the way it's going, unfortunately. And uh, I obviously, I don't know how to feel about this because, yes, I absolutely agree that what a person creates shouldn't be replicated by AI. Mm. But it's a very interesting topic of discussion. It's, there's a, it's a, such a great area at the moment that just probably will take a year to legislate. I think the problem with artificial intelligence when it comes to art and artistic forms is that in order for it to learn it has to literally go and copy other people's artwork and although one could say that a human does that when training and learning i mean one of the things that you learn at art school is to copy a master or various masters in their techniques and forms but this is actually taking samples of people's work and basically learning how to produce something based off those actual pieces of artwork i don't know whether that's I think that morally I would have a problem with that. Another problem that we have is the people who are creating those images, are they artists themselves or are they people who are typing in the words into the engine and then it produces the image? It's yeah. like, let's say, if you are a painter yes. and I have an idea, and I'm a good scribbler but not a painter, mm -hmm. so if I tell you to draw a thing for me, I'm not the artist who created it. Well, I had the original idea and you created it for me. Yeah. I actually didn't paint it. Yeah. It's very similar to this. Yes. So there's a lot of gray area and you just say copying artists work in order to learn and that's what a lot of people do. One of the examples uh, we had uh, with one of the artists who some other users stole the work from Instagram, trained the AI, and then AI produced literally the same style as the artist yeah. without artist consent. Yes. I don't think it's very legal, but again, it's a very great area and I think it's going to take years to legislate. Good. Anyway, moving on from that, we slightly diverted off the topic. There was also the Houtland Photography Jacket, which won Accessory of the Year. And we're not going to talk about the fact that Photography Trend of the Year was artificial intelligence because I... <laughs> Here's why. AI. <laughs> because AI. Skynet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to happen. It's coming for you. Yeah, um, but I mean, I would take any jacket right now as a photographer yeah. or any human being because 
It's going to be chilly outside. And we had a bit of snow this week, which doesn't normally happen in December in the United Kingdom. No, we usually get it in sort of February, March. Now, speaking of voting, we have two sets of awards that we'd like to draw to your attention. The first one is the Amateur Photographer Good Service Award. We're going to include a link if you would please kindly vote for your favourite retailer. If it happens to be Grays of Westminster, we'd be even more grateful. There is also the Photography News Awards, which ends also at about the same time at the end of the year. Now, Photography News, theirs is a more sort of comprehensive survey of all your favorite gear so you can go and vote for your favorite camera, your favorite tripod, accessory, lens, etc. And at the end, there's also your favorite retailer as well. So again, if you'd like to vote for Grace Westminster, we'd be immensely grateful if you could take a few minutes of your time to do that. The link is in the description box below. And if you'd like to vote for your favorite wildlife photography of the year photograph, there's a the People's Choice Award, which gives you 25 images to look at and choose the one that is your favorite. And whoever wins that vote will get the Popular Choice Award. The People's Choice Award. The People's. The people have spoken. Yes. Now, there are some Nikon users in there. There's also some UK-based photographers in there. And I quite like the People's Choice Award because it, it kind of takes the voting out of the hands of the judges. And rather than maybe looking for something that's edgy or controversial or, you know, a little bit different, you're just really looking at what is a beautiful image, what communicates to you as an individual. So I know who I voted for. Yeah, I have a question for you, actually. Would you support an English photographer or French photographer? <laughs> I actually voted based off the images not what equipment they were using or where they were from. But I think that different things will speak to different people. Would and I'm not going to vote for French photographers. Would you support a French team or English football team based on the quality of the football they produce? No. Because I'm English, why would I do that? It, okay, okay, let me ask you this. Two completely... Would you vote... Would you, would you support France or Croatia? You're Croatia. Not, not from either of those countries. I'm Eastern European. Okay. France or Argentina? Uh, good question. See, see, it's different when... I would support France. I know, I, I'll tell you why. Because the moment Argentina scores, they start to waste time. And I don't like this about the team. I like Messi, I like Argentinian teams. But the moment they start to win, the time wasting is through the roof. Right. And that was a clear example with Netherlands. Yeah. That's what I call unsportsmanship behavior. Well... All teams are fantastic and have amazing players. I'd call it strategic, but I don't disagree with you. From a from an observer's point of view, it's not fun to watch. Yeah. At the same time, I liked that. First of all, I'm biased because my husband supports Argentina. <laughs> but second of all, it is Messi's last World Cup, and I would very much like to see him win or at least get to the semis. Well, Messi is not the team. No, and I, I know. think we. Well, obviously, we have legendary places like Messi and Ronaldo. They are not the team. No. So we can't just give them a World Cup just based on their legendary performance. And they're legend. I saw Messi yeah. in Barcelona playing against Chelsea, scoring two goals. That was fantastic. And for me, this is memory that I'll cherish yes. for years to come. But at the same time, I think whoever wins the Cup, it's a teamwork, if you see what I mean. Maybe the so, best team win. Exactly. And it's not like you look at Croatia. Yeah. They have very good players. Mm. They're not legendary players. You know, except maybe Modric. But as a team, 
somehow they make it work. They're not flair players, you know what I mean? It's, they're quite dull in terms of game. It's not, let's say, Brazil with a lot of Argentina with all the flair players, etc., etc. But as a team, somehow they're going to play France in the next round. No, 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 it's not, they're not playing France. Argentina so, are playing Croatia. So Croatia, yeah, that's an interesting game because obviously you're going to have a very defensive team against where attacking team. Yeah. Who's going to win? You don't know. It's probably going to be nil-nil with Argentina attacking all the time. Yeah. But they could be counterattacks. So I would say 50-50 on that. You may agree or not. Obviously, as an Eastern European person, I would support Croatia over Argentina. Well, good, fine. My people. Anyway, so I'm not very, <laughs> I'm not voting for any <laughs> French photographers, English photographers, no one. Vote based off the picture yeah. that you like the yeah. most, and don't think about football or the World yeah. Cup when you're voting for the People's yeah. Choice Award. I do feel very sad about the England team, and obviously that's the team I support. I think of the very talented players. I would love them to score from open play. And it's a shame that we missed the second penalty. I think the referee was a little bit biased, but again, we in England, you know. Uh, honestly, even observing that as a casual, I watched that match with a group of my friends who are all Hungarian. None of them actually are that into football. And even they were saying, what's going on with this rest? <laughs> like, I don't understand. Yeah. So I know I wasn't alone. I had friends who were not supporting England particularly who were messaging me during the match saying, what's going no, on? No, it, so, it is. It was obvious, especially the second penalty. It was shoving there. You know, I personally think that the, the first penalty that he didn't give was a penalty as well. Yeah. At the same time, it's nice to have all the penalties. I still feel that it was important to score from the open play. Of course, and that would have been the ideal. And I think that anyway, it was it was a painful. It was gonna regardless of what happened, it was gonna be painful to watch, and it was painful to watch. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I confirm. I, absolutely, I agree with you. I still feel sad about this, but you know what? There's always next time we're gonna have European Cup within two years, and then World Cup in another four years. Yeah, and our team will be four years wiser. Exactly. We're going to wait since 1966. Lovely stuff. Now back to some photography news. Okay, what do we have here? Nikon chose a full panel of judges for their Nikon Photo Contest of 2023. So they've been determined. Now you know who's going to judge them. You can have a look at the list of those judges in the link below. That's very cool. Let's move on to some third-party news. And third-party news are full of third-party lenses. Yeah, so we have TT Artisan who have announced a 50mm f1.4 tilt lens for the Z-mount, which looks very interesting indeed. And it is a shocking $199. That's cheap. That is very cheap. Then Astro Hori also announced 18mm f8 shift full-frame lens. So one was still, this one is shift. This one weighs 164 grams. It's again cost 100 pounds as well, full-frame lens. Pretty cool. So now we have some tilt lenses, some shift lenses, not both at the same time, but they're there. And then I have a question for you. Yeah. With all the third-party lenses coming up, as much as Chinese manufacturers has been added, just throwing a lot of lenses. I mean, really? these are basically every week we talk about two or three lenses coming down the road. What do you think though? Is it the quantity over quality? Um, it is a little bit at this point. I find we we have been sent some of these lenses to test out and sample. We've thrown the occasional review up online and on some lenses we've been sent them way before they've been announced so we don't know if we can release videos or not but most of the time they're okay in the middle of the frame and not so great 
at the edges as to be expected. That we're not going for sort of super high quality Z glass here. And I'm quite amazed that Nikon are just like, yeah, sure, free reign, produce whatever you like, any old thing. I don't think there's a licensing thing going on. I mean, there's a no. rumor that only Beal trucks among Chinese manufacturers that is actually being licensed right. by Nikon. And that's the reason why we see those old focus lenses. And yeah. they're not many. They're just like, I think, three or four Nikon lenses there. Yeah. But everyone else is basically just releasing lenses without consulting Nikon. And since they're mostly manual focus lenses, uh, Nikon doesn't really worry about those. No. And uh, it is interesting now that we've got a separate tilt and a separate shift lens. I'd be interested to see what happens when we finally get a tilt and shift lens. But I suppose, would you use those for two different purposes? Would you use the shift lens for architecture and the tilt lens for something else? Well, unless you just need to use one movement, yeah. it makes sense. And I mean, the price, we talk about £200 and £100 for the lens. Yeah, there's no competition. Stop down to f is probably going to be okay. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be awful. In my opinion, what we see now is probably the first steps. Obviously, you know, you get what you pay for in a way. Yeah, they're not going to win any awards, but they're going to get people into the system. So you can buy a special effect lens. A lot of those lenses produce vintage rendering, yeah. which is nice to have at £100, £200. It's not that bad. But what we're starting to see as well is autofocus, mm -hmm. reverse engineered stuff. Mm -hmm. And we start to see a very good lenses like Jungio lenses or Wheeltrox lenses. And I think the more years will pass, the better glass we'll start to get out of them. And I think it's a very interesting development where it was dominated by Japan mostly, and now we're starting to have some Chinese lenses coming in. I think it's exciting. Let's wait and see. Maybe at the moment it's something that doesn't excite you as a photographer who got used to professional glass. But let's wait and see. Let's give it another couple of years. Good. All right. Another controversial news came out this week is from Capture One. Capture One has changed their perpetual license. Now, Capture One has two types of licenses. The subscription, mm -hmm. aka Adobe subscription, you know, photography subscription, where you basically pay monthly for the software and you get all the updates and features, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you also could buy a perpetual license, which effectively means that you buy an update for a version. So they normally would release those versions every year. So the new one that came out very recently is Capture One 2023. Now, in the blog post that they recently published, they said, from 2023, we will no longer be tied to annual cycle for major releases. As a result, they will not be a Capture 124. Instead, we will continuously release new tools and features on a rolling basis throughout the year. That starts from 1st of February 2023. What are the changes? Well, first of all, new perpetual licenses will include updates with bug fixes. So if there's a bug, they'll update it. However, the new features released after you purchase the license. So imagine you purchase the license on 1st February. Mm -hmm. Any new features that are introduced after that will not be included. What do you think about it? I suppose what I think about it is that it's going to be very complicated for when new cameras come out. It already did take Capture One quite a long time to, to introduce support for the Z9. And if, it, let's say, a new camera comes out next year and they don't then include support for yeah. it. So support for a new camera is a feature. You bought your license on 2nd of February. Z8, let's say, came out in April. You bought Z8. Your camera is not supported. They release update. Now you can't get that feature. You have to pay extra. Yes. Is it cool? No, it's not cool. I'm not a huge fan of this strategy, but I'd be interested to see how it plays out. It could be that going forward, someone complains enough about it that Capture One rethink this process, but let's see what happens. If, a, if the loyalty scheme is to be confirmed, I'm not yet a Capture One user. Does this mean that I should 
just throw that notion out the window. Well, actually, if you want to get the license, then do get it before 31st of January. Because right. if you buy it before the 31st of January, yeah. the old rules apply, which means you will get all the updates as well as new features until September the 30th, 2023. Okay. Not after that. So that might be a good way to do this. However, if you buy it from 1st of February, you will just get bug fixes not new features, which is I do find a bit weird. In terms of, let's say, general photography use, I think Adobe has the best photography package available at the moment because you're paying £10 a month, you get Lightroom as well as Photoshop thrown in. And that's an incredible package just because if it would be just Lightroom, yeah, you could say, okay, £10 for Lightroom, maybe I'll pay £20 for Capture One. Now, when with Photoshop throwing, it's a much better package, especially for working photographers. However, obviously, if you look at the professional photographers, they do love their capture ones. If you do assisting a lot for studio photographers, they do love their capture ones, so you need to know this. What I don't like about capture one is that they approach towards non-professional photographers. And mm -hmm. professional photographers can see it as a cost, and I understand this, it's absolutely fine. But for enthusiasts, they have to think twice in order to, shall I purchase the software or not? And they just make it more difficult every year by changing certain things. And I personally think it's an unpopular move. I hope they will reconsider, but you never know. Because again, you don't know what you're going to get as the new features. They were saying we're coming out with the yearly releases. So effectively you say, okay, well, within the year we're going to get new features. Yes. Now, we don't know. Maybe the new features are going to come out two years later. You never know. So you're paying for something, you don't know what's going to come out. But obviously, do let us know what you think about this in the comments below. Yeah. Now, moving on to your review section, we have the best cameras for wildlife photography at three budgets by DP Review. Now, they say that Z9 wins the money is no object category, and it also shows where Nikon should improve their offerings in the lower segments. Yeah, so effectively, the entry level and the mid range, they're better cameras than Nikon. And I think Nikon should watch it and realize it, that we need to see the products coming this way. Yes. The main, the major criticism that we see is the autofocus. Everyone talks about it. So I think it's just a matter of waiting when the new products are going to release and they will catch up. Absolutely. Obviously, we hope that's going to be rather sooner than later. Exactly. Now, we also have the lightweight monster Nikon Z800 6.3 VRS by Christopher Frost. This is his review on the 800mm lens, which has been around for a few months now. So good to see that being used out in the field and a fresh review on that. All right. And then we have some third-party lens reviews. The Yungio lenses that we mentioned, uh, there's a review of 85mm 1.8 autofocus dead lens, which is full frame. And they compare it with the Nikon 1.8 S lens. And obviously Nikon 1.8 S lens is better, but what they say is for the money is actually a very good performance. So if you can't get H518 S and you don't want to get F-mount Nikon lenses, then this is very capable performance with a very good image quality for the price. Precisely. Then we also have a Yongnyo 50mm 1.8 DF DSM lens review by Asobinet, which has been translated. Well, you have to translate it. Google Translate. It's your friend here. Exactly. Um, so they say that the lens can be in about the $350 range, which is a little bit cheaper than the Nikon offering. Now, they did say that the weak point is the autofocus accuracy, but the speed is not too slow. It's not as fast as the Z, but overall is very good. Optical performance is very good considering the price and clearly better than the 40mm f2, which is in the same price range. So there you go. Here you have it. So autofocus, the 40 will have a fast autofocus and maybe a little bit more accurate autofocus. However, the Yongyo lens will perform a little bit better sharpness-wise. That's right. Then we have a review by yours truly. 
us. Uh, Battle of the Bokeh Beasts, which is the 58 mil 0.95 Noct versus... A dance-off? Yeah, it's a dance-off. Or uh, Versus the 50 millimeter 1.2. Yeah, we reviewed it. How is your popping and locking? My popping and locking. Can't do any popping and locking. <laughs> no popping and locking here. Thank you very much. <laughs> here you have it, folks. No popping and locking here. Thank you very much. All right, let's move on to Weekend and Read and Watch. And this Weekend Read and Watch will take you to some streets and we will talk about street photography. First one, we have Samuel Street Life who recently bought a Nikon DSLR D850 and he's saying why he's using DSLR for street photography. He was the one who said DSLR is a new Leica. Now he's back with a volume two. Nice. We also have the street photography of Jeremy Page eaten by flowers by Brian Burks using a Nikon F4. That's pretty cool as well. And for some of you who love rangefinders that are not Leica, but Nikon, then we have Mike Ackman who talked to Mr. Rotoloni himself about Nikon rangefinder prototypes that exist in the world. Very interesting article for collectors as well as film photography enthusiasts. There you go. And that's a wrap. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you very much for watching and or listening. Please give us a like and a subscribe if you're on YouTube. Give us a follow, a rating, perhaps a review if you're listening on a podcast platform. Did you know that we are on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, as well as Spotify? Ooh, fancy. Yeah, in high fidelity. There you go. And if you'd like to find us on the internet, at the moment we're on Instagram, you can find us. The store is at Nick on a Grays. I'm at Rebecca underscore Danese. And I'm at Konstantin Koshkin. We will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.